Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Life of Crime, 1984 to 2020, is the culmination of 36 years of work from multiple Emmy Award-winning producer, director John Alpert. The third and final part of the epic documentary trilogy, Life of Crime, 1984 to 2020, tells the full story of three friends from Newark, New Jersey, whose lives have been defined by and torn apart by their addictions. Unfettered access, the film bears witness to each of their journeys in and out of prison rehab and occasional jobs as they struggle to end the vicious cycle of drug use and other horrors that have been visited upon them. Again, the film is called Life of Crime, 1984 to 2020, and we are honored to have with us today the director and producer of those, that film, and that would be John Alpert. John, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you so much. I know from, again, from the introduction that you have been tracking the lives of Freddie, Rob, and Delirious for, obviously, for a long, long time. Let's go back to the beginning. How did you, how did you meet them? How did you kind of become part of their lives? I was a victim of crime. Have you, have you been uh, like a recent victim of crime? Not recently. We were having a crime wave back in the mid 80s in New York City. And I went uh, in the hallway and my motorcycle was gone. And I was really unhappy about that. And somebody else who worked uh, with us, uh, apartment had been broken into and they have been robbed. And th this was at a time when people were focused on crime and criminality. And I think this is around the time that the cop show started to get rolling bad boys, bad boys. You know, given my druthers uh, of hanging with the cops or hanging with the criminals, I, I sort of was more interested in understanding the criminals and why they were doing what they were doing, why they would take something from me, why they would do what my parents brought me up not to do. You know, I'm supposed to go in the store. I'm supposed to pay for things. I'm not supposed to go into the store and take things. We called up this alternative high school in Newark and, and talked to one of the teachers and said, uh, listen, we're interested in meeting either current criminals or potential criminals. Do you have uh, anybody you could recommend? He says, yeah, the entire student body. Uh, and so the next afternoon, uh, Rob and, and Mike uh, were, were here in Chinatown. And I said, I don't know anything about what it's like being a criminal. I'd uh, be interested in following you guys. Would, would that be okay? And they said, sure, meet, meet, meet us tomorrow. 12 o'clock uh, on Main Street in Elizabeth, New Jersey, and you'll see what we do. So I knew they were shoplifters. And so uh, I had to scramble and uh, um, hidden cameras in those, they really weren't any good hidden cameras in those days. Uh, but I had a friend of mine who was an engineer at Panasonic. We stayed up all night long, taking a big camera and blowtorching it down into something that could fit in into a briefcase. And actually you can see me in the background there coming out of the store um, after they come out with their bags full of sheets that they had stolen. And that's how it started. And uh, it was uh, like being a flea on a tiger's tail uh, after that, as um, we, we went wherever they went, whether it was in the streets, in their homes, into jails, um, it was more or less a constant observation of what their lives were like. Was there any trepidation in the fact that you were documenting their crimes 
And they didn't, they certainly seemed on one level proud of what they were doing because in some ways they I'm going to project here. They felt like they were being rebels. They were, they were beating the man back in 1984. That was something that a lot of people said. Um, did, was that, did they ever have, did they ever express any concerns that you were documenting a crime wave on, on their part? Well, I, I always, I mean, I made uh, one promise to them that I would never tattletale. And so um, if they're going to get caught, it's going to be the natural society catching up to them. Okay. For a long time. I mean, you know, I would say that for, for whatever they were charged with, ultimately, there were 500 crimes that they were, were not caught. And you know, I also thought that that was something interesting to observe. Uh, and to some degree, one of the reasons why they maintained this criminal lifestyle. Yeah, one of the things they didn't like is that I slowed them down. And so on a normal day, they would uh, probably do five or six criminal activities. And when I was with them, because I had to change my batteries and I wanted to check and make sure the stuff had come out and things like that, uh, they could do two. So I cramped their style. So I had to be careful that I didn't go all the time over there because at some point they would have gotten annoyed with me and said, listen, we don't want to do this anymore. But they were very, very good at what they did. Uh, they were very creative at what they did. Um, I, you know, I'm looking at, at your room there and I don't see anything unusual about your room, but Rob could come into your room and look around and in five minutes, he would have three or four very, very creative, but completely criminal schemes to figure out how to make money out of something that he saw in your room. You know, if you were to tell me, John, your camera works really good, I'm going to feel flattered, even though I know it's out of focus uh, in, in major sections of the film. Um, I would say, bro, that was really amazing the way you were in that store. Nobody ever saw you in that box that you guys invented. Um, so they appreciated that their creativity and craftsmanship were were being recognized. Uh, so that, you know, even though I'm slowing them down and am a potential documentation of their illegal activities, it, it was okay if I was along. Uh, for the ride. But the other thing is that they they had, in, and they were in the process and they knew it of destroying their lives, destroying the lives of their family, being a very destructive element in their community. And we were something positive that they were participating in because they knew that this was going to have uh, important impact on the society and could help society and other people avoid the pitfalls that, that they were right in the middle of. You hear it throughout the film, it's a constant refrain, um, you know, uh, I'm doing drugs, I know this is not good, I know, I know, they, 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 had, they were self-aware, they knew what they were doing and was eventually going to take them down, they seemed to be fatalistic or nihilistic, I'm not sure exactly, and this is the part of this film, Life of Crime 1984 to 2020, that resonates with me, and that is all of them were likable personalities. They were honest to a fault. And it's, but it's hard not to see the circumstances. Newark during that period of time, I have to know, was in serious decline, no opportunities virtually to speak of, it seemed. And um, as you watch the film, it's hard, it's hard to just kind of take in, you know, you always, you're always asking yourself the question, why, why not stop? Why not why not? Don't you you see it? But you, you, I don't know. It's just a difficult. It's it's difficult to see people do what they're doing over the course of this film. But I also don't understand the circumstances of their lives. 
so I understand. I mean, I can appreciate that. Is that, I don't know if I'm making any sense here, but. Well, I think what I want to say, uh, if we're going to like um, go from their individual cases to what's going on in America, it's really tough to see America doing what it's doing right now and to see yeah. something that you love, you know, in, in the same way that you can love a person, you can love your country. Yeah. And when you see this deep and wide swath of destruction just marching uh, with, with ever greater consequences and blood and misery for everybody, why isn't our country doing something about this? Uh, the yeah. numbers, the numbers, the deaths, uh, the, the economic loss not going down. It's exponentially going in the other direction. And we're aware of this. So when we talked about the war on drugs for years and years and years, we've lost at this particular point. We talk about um, how many people died from COVID. You look at the number of people that died because of overdoses, it makes COVID look like this. Yeah, that, that's another part of this. And in, in addition to just documenting the lives of Rob, Angela, Ed, Mike, uh, Del Delirious, uh, all of these people, they're all... Um, they are all opportunities lost. They're all in some manner of speaking. You're right. I kept thinking about the amounts of money that we put in these human services that, that is so disparate to how much we spend on, on corporate welfare and on the military. It's hard. I just, there's, you can't watch this film and say, this is just about these people and not see a bigger picture a, a something beyond what their lives are. Um, yeah, and, and you know, and there's some really, really hard to watch scenes. Uh, I yeah. imagine hard for you to watch, but hard for me because things are happening to people that had become my friends. But uh, I don't, I don't know what else to do, because um, if we cut out the most brutal consequences, I don't know whether uh, we, we we're going to be able to shock ourselves, push ourselves. Uh, compel ourselves to do what we need to do because we're not doing it right now yeah well when the film begins 1984 we're we're uh, we're steeped in the ronald reagan administration and the war on drugs is certainly uh and i think it probably it's fever pitch was during that period of time here we are now 40 years later there have been so many advances in terms of understanding drug addiction, understanding how poverty is an ill becomes part of our illnesses, and how how it affects us on all different levels. We we have, I think, more or less the tools today to be able to address these things in a much more effective and positive way. Do we do we not? I mean, I mean, there are successful there are successful tools available. Is it a matter of we choose not to, or, or, or I don't know. I, I just, I, well, like I said, I'm watching this film and I just, I can't help but think about the why and, and the why not question. It, it, it is something that is having um, an impact on our organization, DCTV. So DCTV uh, is a community media center. We were founded in 1974. Um, you know, I didn't start as a filmmaker. I started out trying to get better schools in the neighborhood, trying to end the Vietnam War. Uh, I was a taxi driver trying to get better working conditions. Failure, failure, failure. All these things, we were not succeeding. Uh, and 
when when we began making films with the early uh, generation of video equipment, when we began making films about these different issues, it was like waving a magic wand and all the taxi drivers got united and we began fighting and winning our battles. Uh, we threw the crooks out of the local school system and began running the schools uh, for the benefit of our community. It was so exciting to be able to see this happen. Uh, and the, the camera was a catalyst in many, many cases that uh, enabled us to win fights that we've been losing for, for, for years and years. And so this is sort of how we started. And this was when I guess the war on drugs was more or less beginning. And the fact that uh, we haven't made much societal progress is a shame on us, uh, but it's also an extraordinary danger for all of us. And right now, in New York City, which has been completely steamrolled by COVID, is virtually bankrupt. What is, is our, I don't know if this is radio or, or TV, I'm making air, air quotation marks. What is our progressive mayor doing? He's going to spend $9 billion on new prisons when we don't have job opportunities, when we don't have housing, when we don't have the things that we need to invest in in order to get people in, on, a, on a better track and give them the opportunities of not slipping into this type of destructive lifestyle. We're going in the opposite direction as fast as this guy can spend our money. This is the newly elected mayor we're no, talking this is, this is de Blasio. Is that de Blasio really? De Blasio, this is what he's doing. This is his last legacy uh, as he's leaving. And, and every single community where he's trying to build these jails says, no, we're not saying that you shouldn't have judicial reform. We're not saying that you shouldn't improve the prisons, but nine billion dollars and and he's broken um five or six laws in his pursuit so we can't figure it out what we believe is that when you make a budget this big it has its own inertia there's so many people that are going to make money from this that you can't stop it we went through this with robert moses with some of his projects like the lower manhattan expressway he had all the unions. I mean, there was so many people that were going to make money and he was going to destroy lower Manhattan with this. And, and Jane Jacobs out of her little apartment in Greenwich Village fought Robert Moses and beat him. Uh, I hope that we're going to be able to, to beat this progressive mayor. Uh, but $9 billion is kind of tough to overcome. Well, again, what's frustrating about that around the world, people are making progress in understanding the social science of poverty, the social science of drug addiction, the social science of violence in the work in, in the home, it's proven to be effective. And so prisons are not, I mean, all of the things you're saying have been proven to not be effective, but you're right about the institutional momentum. And I think there's a lot of pushback over uh, the idea of police reform from, from just last year and the year before. This is kind of the institutional reaction to people clamoring for actual reform in our law enforcement. And I, I mean, I, but, but wait, wait, I don't think it's mutually exclusive. Um, I think that we absolutely need police reform. Yeah. Uh, and what the police uh, have been doing systematically over the years is completely wrong. And uh, people who do these wrong things, uh, policemen or Rob or Freddie should be punished when they break uh, the laws yeah. of society. Um, but what we're not doing is we're not investing at the root. Uh, and I don't know whether we ever will. Uh, and if we don't, then um, our fate as a country is a little bit cloudy. The film is called Life of Crime, 1984 to 2020. 
It is premiering on Tuesday, November 30th, nine o'clock on HBO. You can also stream it on HBO Max. So, so do you know how to do that? Let's let's talk about that, okay? Because I really uh, like HBO. Uh, am indebted to HBO because HBO has supported. Um, so that this was this was the first project we ever did for them, and they've been wonderful to independent filmmakers uh, and basically wonderful to the public because this is how we we interact with the public. But uh, HBO Max, I don't understand. Do you? The streaming service that you would subscribe to, HBO Max is on most cable systems and HBO Max is a streaming service that is putting out a lot of a lot of content that doesn't necessarily show up on HBO. Is that what you're talking about? I guess, there- so this is, you know, everybody knows that when you like buy uh, something from your cable company, you're getting HBO if you pay an extra $15 a month. That, we get you get the package of yeah HBO package, Showtime and other packages. Yeah. You pay a little bit more, you get Cinemax. Right, uh, right. Uh, so can can you get HBO Max without a cable subscription? And if you you basically have an internet connection, can you just buy that? I believe so. I want HBO to continue to be strong and supportive. And so the, you know everybody out there, this is like where where HBO is going with films like ours. I think the one thing about this is also that it, it allows these films to, to live and be accessed yes. uh, more or less perpetually. And that wasn't something the old HBO could, could do. Uh, right. And it also allows, I think, uh, better international distribution. Right. So it, it's, it's a good opportunity for, for filmmakers. So if you haven't subscribed, guys, Yes. Not be a good time. Okay. Right. You can watch our film and see whether it makes it worthwhile. And um, there's, yeah, there's also HBO on demand, which is a part of the HBO brand. And then, and then, but I, HBO Max is the streaming content, you know, mega giant. I think they're the ones behind Wonder Woman, the, the sequel. I think they, they, they were the ones who exclusively put that out. So there's some serious money. Okay. I mean, your incredible career as a filmmaker. And I, I just want to let people know that you won, as of this reading, 15 Emmy Awards, three DuPont, 16, 16 Emmy Awards, three DuPont, Columbia Awards. You won a multiple award-winning uh, filmmaker. And the fact that you have this terrific enterprise called Downtown Community Television Center and you support filmmakers of all stripes, people looking to tell stories that are untold in, in most media, from most media outlets. I, I am a huge admirer of your work and uh, so continue what well, you're well, doing. I, I really appreciate that. So I would like to say uh, quickly uh, a couple of things. One, uh, anybody who wants to come visit us uh, here. Uh, we're in Chinatown in the DCTV firehouse. Look up dctvny.org. You'll see us. You'll see the firehouse. We just built an all documentary, all the time cinema. It is spectacular. And, and we hope this is going to be uh, an, an epicenter that's going to help uh, everybody who likes documentaries or who makes them. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've won a lot of awards. Uh, and I think I probably like inhabit certain categories exclusively. But eventually all those awards are going to, you know, somebody else will break whatever records I have. The <laughs> one record that nobody's ever going to break that I have is all-time hockey penalty minutes. I am so far ahead of anybody else. And that is the one record that I'm going to take to my grave. Were you, you were the enforcer, I guess. Is that, is that why, how you got there? Same thing with filmmaking, you know, it, uh, hockey. 
total lack of skills. Okay. But <laughs> somebody's got to go in the corner and it's always going to be me. Okay. I don't care how big they are. And, you know, if you look at my skills that I bring to filmmaking, very, very limited, but I'm going to work on something for 36 years and I'm going to go in all the corners every single night. I love what you do, John. Uh, the, uh, you can go to dctvny.org. That'll be a great place to start. And I'm, I'm again, thank you so very much for the film Life of Crime, 1984 to 2020, premiering on HBO on November 30th. That's a Tuesday and will be available on the HBO streaming service after that. So, John Albert, again, thank you so very much for spending some time with us. Thank you. My pleasure. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Film School Radio.